John, and so we looked at 1 John chapter 5 this morning, and Paul has chosen a passage that uh, from Proverbs that relates to the passage from 1 John. So I will be reading from Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 to 27. So Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 to 27. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. so many times, I've used it so many times as a, a, um, as a scripture to illustrate points, and I think that's probably what I've done with Proverbs most of my ministry, because it's like, most of Proverbs stand alone, each verse stands alone, uh, except for the first nine chapters, and so, so after that, they're, they're, they're like four collections of different um, uh, proverbs and, and uh, most of the lay ones stand alone but the first nine chapters in particular um, deal with um, uh, instructing uh, young men in particular and, and young women for that matter and old, older uh, men and women as well in the way of, of wisdom it's, um, and so the thread that got me from uh, 1 John 5, 18 to 19 uh, was in the form of, of uh, not sinning. How, how do we not sin? You know, we, we will sin as a matter of the remaining sin in us until we take our last exhale. I, you know, how... You know, there are those Christian uh, denominations and groups who say uh, you can get to a point where you don't sin anymore. Um, that that whole set of doctrine is called perfectionism. And um, if you ever want to read uh, extensively about it, get B.B. Warfield's books. We have them in the library in his complete works. I, rec I highly recommend. I'm sure they're in public domain. You can find them on the internet for free and read those incredible articles on perfectionism. And so much of American Christianity comes from this 19th century 
uh, stream of um, the, the most famous proponent of it was a fellow named Charles Finney, who believed that you could somehow um, uh, get to a point where you uh, stopped sinning completely and you could become perfect. And, and uh, maybe you're like me, you've met some of those people in the course of your life and they've even made that statement in front of you and you, and, and you thought like I did as a young man when I met one of them that I was working for some weeks on a construction crew and had heard all kinds of things come forth from him that sounded to me like sin. Um, how he could make such a statement? Well, because it's a feeling, not an emotion, and not an objective reality, which is what, again, I, Jeff Tooney's class this morning was so foundational and so solid, because that is, that is um, a form of liberalism, a feeling and emotion-based rather than scripture-based and authoritatively based in uh, the Word of God. This uh, chapter, if you go back to the beginning of the chapter and look at the context of it, it's, it's about a father's instruction to a son. And even more than that, if you go down to verse 3, it's a grandfather's instruction to a son. Now, remember, this is Solomon. And who is Solomon's father? It's David, right? So this is, this is the um, anointed one, the, the man after God's own heart, uh, who passed on to his son not only uh, a love for God and his word, but also a sinful proclivity. So there, there in Solomon, and so we, we see Solomon starting out so well, being used of God to write the very word of God, and then we read the account of the end of his life in, in the, the historical books, and we say, how in the world did he end up this way? Well, um, the answer again is remaining sin. And, and it's how important it is, not only to begin well, but to finish well. And I would urge everyone not to emulate Solomon's life and, and not to emulate David's life. You know, never tell your child or your son to be a, be a David or be a Solomon. Uh, tell them to, to follow uh, Christ and follow their word in as much as it is the word of Christ. So how to avoid sin is, uh, is the um, text tonight well, based on this advice about wisdom. The pre immediately preceding verses are uh, about avoiding bad company, which is um, parents raising your children. If I were to give any advice in my, from my own mistakes is I would have been much more guarded about my children's uh, friends and companions. Um, and I would have paid more attention to these verses immediately preceding our text. First um, uh, Corinthians fifteen thirty is an exposition of these verses. It says, "Be not deceived." We're talking about the resurrection. Um, the Apostle Paul sticks in this moral admonition: "Be not deceived. Bad company corrupts 
good morals. Um, that's why the fellowship of the regular gathering of saints together, the fellowship of the saints both uh, formally in public worship and informally in the various Bible studies and ways we meet is so vital to our spiritual health. But in our text, the number one way to avoid sin is to listen to the Word of God. To pay attention, the um, King James, I think it says, incline your ear. Um, it's listening to the Word of God. With all the um, ways we have to consume uh, content online, um, whether it's uh, videos or tapes or whatever, there's no substitute for what you're doing right now in terms of your growth, your personal growth, as long as this Bible is open and, and in as much as God enables the minister of the Word of God to read it and apply it, there is no no other substitute for this. And that's what um, the, the, the uh, writer is saying here, verse 20, my son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Listen to the spoken word of God. Romans chapter 10, the Apostle Paul says the same thing. He says, faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. And he uses a very specific word in chapter 10. And I forget if it's in verse 9 or 10, but it's uh, the word rhema, which means spoken word of God. Hearing it read, hearing it applied, uh, is something that we should not forsake. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And it becomes a habit. And, and I know a number of uh, dear, dear saints, and they've gotten out of the habit. One of the great casualties of COVID is many people got out of the habit of regularly sitting under the Word of God. And I would urge any of them who might be listening on the uh, live stream, then we need you here. Our part of the worship of God, the, the main event in the public worship of God is the faithful reading of the scripture as well as its application. Don't let it escape from your sight. Not just hear the word, not just incline your uh, yourself to be in a position to hear the words spoken. Don't let them escape from your sight and keep them within your hearts. Um, the goal of uh, hearing the word is to have it in your heart and it's also the goal of reading the word. I think it's uh, clear here that there's a there's an, a visual aspect as well. You should come to the preaching of the Word of God and 
hopefully you come with an open Bible. I'm tempted too often to bring in my phone and I have this incredible device at my fingertips and has all of these these translations and commentaries and I can look I can parse the original Hebrew and Greek and, and just a punch of the button I can tell you what it says. But I'll say there's no substitute for opening your Bible and following in it and doing what Ed Walker has done for how many years? I, I can't slip an old sermon by Ed. He'll tell me when I preached it. And it's got, he's got, usually he can tell me my points if I, if I happen to repeat them again and again. What a good habit. Don't let them escape from your sight and from your, from your ear and from your eye. Put in your heart the word of God. Really, this is this is um, the heart of the matter. <laughs> there, there was a famous professor who, who just in recent years has retired, Dr. Henry Cromendon. Uh, he's well in his nineties. He's still going, but Dr. Cromendon taught at Covenant College for many years. I still use his out, outline for his syllabus on marriage at the that he taught many years ago at Covenant College for my premarital counseling that I do. Um, but he, he he's famous for many things, but one of the things that he's famous for is the statement, the, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. If you really want to boil it down to the essence of what it means to trust in the Lord and follow him, it's the matter of the heart and that's what our text points to verse 22 21 and 22 and 23 it's the word of God it's the gospel of grace in the word of God operating on our heart through the work of the Holy Spirit that brings about a life of faithfulness to God it brings a life of union with, with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Um, Solomon, as he's writing these words in the Old Testament, didn't realize that his future ancestor, the future son of David, this is the son of David, uh, the immediate son of David, writing these words, and he's pointing to the future when Jesus, the son of David, will fulfill these words. And the Lord Jesus taught all the time about, about the heart. And, and usually, the, I, this is when I quote this verse, and I've quoted it many times in reference to other messages that I've done. It's tempted just to go off and, and preach one of those messages here, because it, it really is the center of this text. It's the heart. The heart in in um, Hebrew as well as English is one of those words that you know is exactly the same in terms of its dynamic, the way we use it. And, and it's not merely the physical organ of the heart. It's it's that it's that, and it's what it represents. It's the center of life. 
you know, whenever, when someone dies, it's always because their heart stops beating, right? So it's true of physical life. It's true of a spiritual life. And in the, in, in the Hebrew thought of the word heart, it's this whole being and personality of a person. We use it all the time that way, even in our colloquial language. We talk about people who have great heart, usually in terms of an athlete or, or, or someone who's gone through some courageous struggle, uh, who plays uh, an instrument with, they play with their heart, they play, they play with emotion. And you can see it and it comes out. And they, they overcome so many deficits because of their heart. It's the same word and it's the same thought. And it's who, who we are. It makes up who we are as a person. Our heart is, uh, is what makes us who we are. And the word of God in our hearts, the word of life in our hearts brings healing and brings salvation. And so on that basis, young man, Listen to your father's instruction. Listen to your grandfather's instruction. Listen to the word of God from, from uh, David, who was a man after God's own heart, who sought with all his heart to impart it to Solomon. And again, Solomon, as he began his reign, he didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for wealth. He didn't ask for power. What did he ask for? He started out so well. He asked for wisdom. Immediately, uh, he is, his prayer is answered because you haven't, answered, you haven't asked for riches. You haven't asked for fame. You haven't asked for power. I'm going to bless you with all these things. And we know, sadly, that that prosperity and success ultimately turned his heart away from the Lord. But he started out well. And so here he gives the instruction to guard your heart, a guarded heart. Now, this is not the first time the Bible speaks of this. Moses speaks about it over in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 4, verse 9. Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen. There's the eye aspect as well. Lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and to your children's children. It's uh, the, mes the message is guard your heart. Now the problem is, is, this is obviously referencing a regenerate heart, someone who, who had this, has the Spirit of God, who desires to follow the Lord. Our problem is, we are, when we are conceived, we have a sinful heart. The scripture cannot be more plain about, about that. Captain House and for years begged me to preach Jeremiah. I, I compromised with him and finally to preach through Ezekiel with Jay. But uh, but uh, I 
one day we might we might do Jeremiah. We don't get any ideas, and just because we're coming to the end of First John, but it's it's a it's a book that's every bit as difficult as Ezekiel in different ways. But Jeremiah writes about the heart in chapter seventeen, in verse nine. He says the heart is desperately wicked. This center of our being and our personality, Jeremiah proclaims, is desperately wicked. It is deceitful beyond anything else. Lord Jesus says the same thing in chapter 7 of Mark's Gospel. Um, chapter 7. And call the people to himself, verse 14. Hear me, all of you, and understand there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defiles him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these things come from within and defile a person. And so we have to have a new heart. We have to be reminded of of that uh, periodically as we preach from Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel, uh, when Ezekiel proclaimed the need for a new heart. And that would be the result of the gospel promises that one day uh, God's people would be given um, that. And this is what Solomon is no doubt referring to in this his pre-incarnate uh, Christ time that he lives in. He's speaking of what a regenerate heart should be and even though it's regenerate and seeks to follow God it must be guarded it must be um, carefully guarded from all of the things that would lead it astray I was a, I was a Johnny Cash fan before I moved to Arkansas so I was an early adopter I love I love that guy's singing in this very earthly way of communicating, but he has, a, he has a song about the heart, right? I keep a close watch on this heart of mine. You know, I, I, I keep my eyes, I wonder if he was even thinking about this text from Proverbs, I keep my eyes up wide open all the time. And it's a love song about his wife. He says, because you're mine, I walk the line. And like all love songs, they can easily be translated into our love for God. And that's what he wants us to do. 
He knew he knows his proclivity to wander. He knows his proclivity to stray. And so uh, Johnny Cash sings a song about not doing that. Well, this is an admonition from the Word of God for not doing that. Because we are in a relationship with the living God who loves us, and now we have the full revelation that tells us all that he's done from the foundation of the world to make a plan to save his people from their sins. He tells us the application of this is very plain. Watch your heart, guard your heart, and guard it with all vigilance. And the, and the language is a watch. Keep a watch on it. If you've ever been around the military, you know that guard duty and having the watch is the most critical task of the day, especially in a combat environment. It's, uh, it's serious, serious business. Well, we are in a spiritual war. And we are to keep a lookout. We are to keep a watch for the enemies of our soul, which will quickly overrun us and overtake us if we are not watchful and if we are not careful. Why do we watch it? Because from it flows the springs of life. Jesus met a woman in Samaria, that land between, um, right on the, uh, just to the um, north of uh, Jerusalem and Judea, this no man's land where the Samaritans had um, intermarried with the Assyrians um, and created their own alternate uh, semi semi-faithful religion with a different place to worship and, and they were considered total outcasts and total cult members by the Jews of his day and Jesus went to that land and he met, met a woman and um, engaged her in a conversation about water because he, he wanted her to um, draw water and she said uh, and says if you she didn't have anything to draw with so she couldn't draw water and he says if you just ask uh, God will give you living water that flows out of you and he begins to tell him just he begins to deal with her sin and tell her all the ways that she had been unfaithful and disobedient and she's in shock look at this man tells other people look at this man who told me all my sins who told me everything that I've done that's, that's, uh, and then he forgave him. This is, this is the Holy Spirit's work. And all through scriptures, it's, it's pictured as a, a water, as a stream. In Ezekiel 47 as well, it's talking about a stream that flows eternally. In the book of Revelation, it talks about a stream that flows <coughs> eternally. It's a metaphor for the Holy Spirit at work in a believer's life. And the life, the springs of life, or the fruit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. What does it do? 
it, it, it changes the way we speak, the way we talk, the way we act. Verse 24, put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk from you. Um, let The scripture says, let no, in other places, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only, only speak those things which are, are good for building people up and to meet the need of the moment. It's our tongue, it's our speech that reveals what is truly in our heart. I, uh, many years ago, taught the discipleship uh, from, with the World Harvest material. I think they've changed their name. But every once in a while, I pull it out. They had an assignment called the Tongue Assignment. And basically, it was for a week, you know, don't say anything negative about anyone. Um, in, in, in fact, not only don't say anything negative, only speak positive words about other people. And uh, we give that, and it's a discipleship class. And usually people came back, well, how did it go? Well, I didn't say much this week. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's such a, such as how depravity affects us. You know, the Holy Spirit is to be in control of our tongue. If our, our, our tongue reflects what's in our hearts, um, I'm amazed in my own, on my own personal life how, how quickly things that I thought were put out of my speech for years and years, all of a sudden they come bubbling up in certain situations. It ought not to be so. The Holy Spirit should transform us. It should transform our speech. One of Jeff Tuning uh, mentioned uh, one of R.J. Rustin's books, and, and um, this morning in Sunday school, another one, another one. If you if you really want to uh, enjoy uh, Dr. Rustin's uh, uh, intellect and his uh, winsome way of applying things. Get his Institutes of Biblical Law and uh, read um, about um, the ninth, uh, ninth Commandment, is it? No, uh, it's not on the Ninth Commandment. It's on um, the um, Third Commandment. You should, that's You Shall Not Take Your Lord's Name in Vain. Is that the mm -hmm. Third or is that the Fourth? That's, that's the Third, third. right? Third. And, um, and he has a whole section in there on cursing. And I, I never, I never, it's, it, it's a, it's an incredible book because it talks about all the ways that uh, we violate uh, uh, taking God's name in vain. And one of the, one of the, and I, and I, I try to remember this every time I'm tempted to, to use uh, bathroom language or, or call upon some, um, thing from common human experience in my speech what he says about it he says it's a form of demon worship where in order to shock in order to uh, to, to bring power to your words to you use this kind of speech and I thought this is this is that this is that crooked speech that we're told not to have 
we have something far greater than the power of the netherworld and the power of the earthly things and the power of worldly things to call upon to give our speech emphasis. We have no less than the Spirit of God. Put away devious talk. Let your eyes look directly forward. Let your gaze be, be straight. We must guard our eyes. I, I am convinced that what the reason we are where you are in a position as a culture where we are being absolutely overwhelmed at every turn with pernicious evil, it's because of the um, pornographic and violent images that stream constantly into our consciousness. Or, or we are tempted with it. The word here is turn, let your eyes look directly forward. In other words, uh, don't, earlier he talked about a young man walking down the street and seeing the wayward woman and calling him in. The prostitutes calling him in to um, immorality. Well, I would say that this is calling our young people, our old people. It's all streams of life. It's constant. It's we carry it. We carry that doorway around in our pocket. It's in. It's in. Um, you know. It, it's. And these essential devices that we have that we do our work on, it's there. It's a moment away. We're to guard our eyes and we're to keep it far from us. Um, it's obvious that Solomon lost sight of this as you think of the end of his life. Two great metaphors of the Christian life are, are um, one is warfare, as I've mentioned many times. The other is walking. You're on a journey uh, made most famous by John Bunyan's Pilgrim Prog Pilgrim's Progress. If you've not read that, I encourage you to get it and read it. Read the sequel as well. It's excellent. By Christiana and her, her, her journey to the celestial city but all the things along the way that seek to keep us off the path and, and put us in the ditch or put us in the bondage of, of, uh, uh, of despair, the castle of despair and all the things that, uh, that pull at us. Um, ponder where your feet are going. Think about it and don't swerve to the left or to the right, to the right or to the left, and turn your foot away from evil. How is that possible in this, this wretched world? It's possible through the grace and love of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that he gives to his beloved children. We, we stand in the glorious fulfillment of this scripture. And uh, we have 
we have through Christ the ability to do these things to repent and to stay on the path and not fall away let us pray Father we thank you for this great and glorious truth of, of your enabling spirit to, um, to keep our path straight Father we live in a world where there are many temptations for us to fall away and Father, many of us have loved ones and dear ones who have fallen uh, into the ditch. Father, they need to be rescued. They need to know the power of the gospel uh, to deliver them. We thank you for the deliverance we have. Uh, help us to be humble about uh, our own walk. Help us to be mindful of how we do go astray. Uh, we pray that you would keep our path straight, keep our our, our eyes focused upon the Lord Jesus and uh, his exalted throne having finished the course uh, for us on the cross and through his uh, burial and resurrection and ascension to your right hand. Father, may our focus be on him completely and may his uh, uh, transforming power through the Holy Spirit change us Father, we are, our hearts are prone to wander. We are prone to leave the God we love. Father, we pray that you would take our hearts and seal them. Seal them, Lord, for your courts above. Father, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.